please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into the holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. Father, we come before you. Lord, uh, as I look at this text, I understand that it is beyond my capability to even teach it. So, Father, I'm begging your throne now that your spirit and your people will encourage them in such a way that they'll be overwhelmed with gratitude at what is being shared here. Father, we looked and we see your word speak forth to us to encourage us and to strengthen us. And yet, Father, there is nothing you have asked of us that you have not empowered us to do. Father, that overwhelms me even to this day. Father, with so much happening in this crazy, crazy world, Lord, I ask that my brothers and sisters this day will hear your word. Their hearts will be strengthened. Their lives will jump to joy and peace that surpasses understanding. And that, Father, the radiance of the King of kings and Lord of lords will be seen in each of us, individually and collectively. In Christ's name, amen. We have been looking at this text that I call the unity of the body. We looked in chapter 1 and we saw heaven's plan before the foundations of the world. This is what we're going to do. This is our plan. Then we look in chapter 2 and we start seeing the fulfillment of it. But we got down to verse 8 and he says, therefore, remember. Okay, and what he's saying is, here's what God's plan is. Here's how it looks like when it's being fleshed out. But I want you to remember where you came from. It is easy for us at times to understand that every person, man, woman, and child ever born at one point was separated from Christ. We, we've got to understand that. I can show you 
in chapter 1 that he had chosen us before the foundations of the earth. Okay, I'll go with that. Amen. But the problem was that when you got born and you hit the ground, guess what? You're still separated from Christ. You're still separated from Christ. All right. And through, I mean, you look at the group that is here right now and think about how many different paths we came to Jesus. Right. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, there's probably no two the same. All right. And so but we still came and we came to Jesus because Jesus is the only one that takes us to God. All right. We were alienated. That's what verses 11 and 12 are showing us. We did not have Christ. We were separated from Christ. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. What we learned was is that our alienation came in two parts. It One was societal and one was spiritual. Societal is, by nature, men don't get along. I don't care who it is. We have little things that we might try to accomplish. But the truth of the matter is, we don't get along. And, and I find it fascinating because when I, uh, I listen to everybody tell me how racist America is. And then I look at America and it says, do you realize how many we got here? And there's no country on this planet that you can see that blending. I have had the opportunity to travel internationally a bunch of different places. And it is amazing on how they're all one race. And yet, we're the racist. And I'm sitting there going, I don't get it. But then I start watching. And if you look at what we do, whether it's our country or other countries, we put up barriers. We put up these walls that separate us. Well, they're too young for me. Well, they're too old for me. Well, they're single. They're married. They don't, you know, and do you realize how sinful that is? How sinful that is? Well, you've got to figure out what group you want to reach. Well, I want to strengthen the saints and reach the ain'ts. All right, got it done. (laughs) There's my two barriers. All right, but yet I sit and listen, and they say, well, you know, you've got to have something for young people. You've got to have something for the kids. You've got to have, you know what? I do. It's right here. Okay? I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care about your nationality. Listen, I got (laughs) Blackfoot Indian and Scott in me, and yet the same gospel pierced my heart. You got to get that. And that is the barriers. When he says he tore down the barriers, the dividing wall, he uses the context of the Jew and the Gentile. And that was awful. The Gentiles believed that Jews were a created race of slaves. And them crazy Jews, they believed they were God's chosen people. I'm seeing a conflict that has never, ever gone away. But, that's exactly what the Bible says. You will be hated. 
And I look at historically, I, I know a lot of people, they like to attack the validity of Scripture based on, well, historically, this is what was happening. Not really. I, the more I know about history and the more I watch in my world right now, I realize that nothing has changed. We, we got cuter names for it, but nothing has changed. Mankind consistently puts up walls to keep some in and to keep others out. That's what governments do. That's what, in the time of the writing of the New Testament, there were bond and free. Slaves and masters. And let's be realistic. The slaves pretty much resented the owners. And the owners looked down on the slaves. Sounds like the business world today. Everybody that is employed by somebody always looks at their boss and thinks they're idiots. How could you be a boss? Okay. And all the managers look down on the employees and says, how in the world did you get in this line of work? Not much has changed. If you remember a number of years ago in 1 Corinthians 7, there's barriers between men and women. In the uh, 70s, I left. I lived down in southern, southwestern Ohio, and that was all... Uh, Basically, automobiles, uh, batteries, tires, car manufacturers, or steel. And when I got out of high school, uh, I was the minority. Okay? What they wanted to hire, because of what the government says, is black females. Because then they got a woman and they got a minority. Well, I don't fit either one of those. So I'm low man on the totem pole. And I knew I was in trouble. Cause I knew, I mean, I got a job for a little while at Armco Steel Graveyard, 12 to 7. And I stood out in this shed that was a little bit, about the same size as this platform. And I would wait for the train to come out of the heating mill. And I'd go out inside my little shed, throw the leather so it'd go on this side. And I'd go back in my shed. And I'd sit there, and I'd watch in the mirror on there, and I'd, oh, here it comes again. So I'd come back out, and I'd throw the lever, and it'd go back in the other side. I sat around and read comic books and built models. Okay, and I thought, now, this is truly a vocational episode here. All right? That's why I left. became a, an entrepreneur. So anyway, men and women had problems in the first century church. Women who would become Christians, their husbands would become excruciatingly offended by that. Because under that society, a woman was not allowed to do anything independent of the husband at all. And for her to make a spiritual decision without his permission was the height of arrogance on the woman and plus the uh, massive, massive ridicule the man would receive from his fellow men. 
he had a place where she was to be under him, and he would tell her what she was to believe. Okay? And she would never enter into a man's world, let alone receiving Christ without him. It was a conflict of monumental persuasion. It would be embarrassing for a man. And it would be an extremely large point of ridicule to the man. I remember when we were downtown, I was preaching one Sunday and after I got done the whole time. See, people say, well, well, (laughs) doesn't it bother you that everybody's looking at you? And I was like, no, because I'm looking at them. Okay, I mean, you know, and I remember that there was a couple they had just visited and they were sitting. We had pews then. They were on the right hand side, the very back pew. Okay, a a guy and a a woman. And the guy was sort of sitting there going, yeah, yeah, yeah." I don't remember what I was preaching on. He's, but the more I preach, the madder that woman got. I mean, you could just see it just swelling up. And I was like, ooh, I better make this a short sermon. So at that time, I'd leave and I'd go to the back and everybody have to come past me to get out. And by golly, she came up and she started this right there. Let me tell you this, that patriarchal stuff right there that has oppressed the women for centuries. And I was like, man, what did I say that was not biblical? And she says, all of it. I said, well, have you ever read in the Bible? No. I tell you what, dear, why don't you take a Bible here, and I handed her a Bible. Take that home and read it, and when you find something that offends you, come back and we'll talk about it. Now, I ain't never seen them since, but I tell you what, it it was kind of comical to watch her just keep getting madder and madder. What they would do is they would look at it from that perspective, and they would say the men would tell the guy whose wife had come to Christ that he cannot control his woman. Very common. But there were also barriers among the Greeks. The Greeks, and they call them the barbarians. See, the Greeks, they were so humble in their thought, they believed that their language was that of the gods. Okay? We call that today self-exaltation. Okay? And they believed that if you were a Gentile... And you could not speak Greek, then you were a barbarian. Aristotle, ever heard of Aristotle? He taught that those who could not speak the Greek Greek language were into bestiality and eating of human flesh. Therefore, they were barbarians. The word literally means barbar. And it means that I don't understand what you're saying. And when you talk, it just says like, bar, 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 Because you do not speak the language of the gods. So you could actually take Gentiles and there were divisions among them because of the language barrier. Okay? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? There's not really a big change. I mean, when I was in Georgia last fall, You know, they kept telling me how great their language was. And they would say, well, today we are going to meet at this ecclesia. Well, that's Greek for church. So your language is so peculiar, it sounds just like the Greeks. Okay, but then you heard other terms that sounded German. So I think what they did is just grabbed a whole bunch of languages, put them together and said, that's ours. 
Now, I didn't tell them that. Okay, but but they wanted to act like, well, what we've got is really, and, and of course, 70 years they were under the Russians, and so they had to speak Russian, and uh, and now they, they don't really like the Russians. Now, that ain't, that's an understatement there, but all of their signs used to be in Georgia and Russia, and then when they annexed a bunch of Georgia, they went through and changed all their road signs to Georgian and English. <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> See, you. You'd be lost trying to read this thing. <laughs> but see, we still do that. We still do that. We keep saying, well, they're this or they're that. You know, I remember uh, a lot of my people are from the south. And I'm, I mean south, like the Nat line. If you don't know where the Nat line is, don't worry about it. And yet, on my dad's side, all of the girls have PhDs. But you sit and talk to them, and they've got this thick southern drawl, and you're like, how in the world did you ever get a PhD? It takes you 12 minutes to say hello. All right? But see, you we get into these little things. And I remember a guy, I don't know if you remember him, Louis Gazzardi was a comedian, and he made a comment because he had gone up to Chicago to write for a sports paper. Everybody made fun of him being stupid because he had a thick southern drawl. And he says, well, let me tell you something. He says, you take a room, you put one southern in there, and you bring in a bunch of Yankees and put them around them. Whose accents change? <laughs> and I was like, wow, touche. <laughs> okay, but... We do that. We do that. But I want you to understand what the Apostle Paul said. Romans chapter 1 verse 14. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians. Okay. The word debtor there is the word obligated. I am obligated both to the Greeks and the barbarians. To the wise... And the unwise. Why? I am ready to preach the gospel to the Greeks and the barbarians. Why? It is for all. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between the Greek or the Jew, the circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but... Christ is all and in all. There is no separation. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care if you sit and listening to me and say, well, he talks funny. Well, know this. God gave me a ministry to rednecks. So that makes you. Just in case you're trying to figure it out. Christ is our all in all. Everything is equal in Christ. This is a very important message in Christianity. And Christianity is bound and determined to put barriers around it so nobody gets it. Barriers are removed. Christianity. That is the unity of the body. That is God's design that we looked at in depth in chapter 1. Jew and Gentiles. 
What a barrier existed there. And yet the miracle of the unity of Christ. That's Christianity. That is Christianity. God is on your team. That's whenever I travel, well, and if, if if I'm in the country or whatever, I always find a church to go to. And I've gone to some, you're sitting there going, Boy, I hope this don't last long. Okay, I I understand. There's things out there that you just say, well, what was that? All right, but I've been to others that is just wow. Why do I have to leave? All right? You know, I I have spoken in churches where I had to have an interpreter. And he was really good. Because they applauded him. Because I know they didn't have a clue what I said. Alright? These are the things that I want you to understand. I remember preaching in Moscow, Russia. The First Baptist Church of Moscow. thing is massive. And during the sermon, you're out in the front and you're surrounded. And there's balconies and all kind of weird stuff going on. And, and I was preaching. And I had Sergei sitting next to me. He was he was preaching better. I could tell. Okay? But during the sermon, I started looking at this stuff coming out of the pews, of the, the, the top balconies, and it looked like confetti. And I was like, what the heck is that? And you just see them coming. And then as you keep... Now, you're supposed to preach without being distracted. But you see these pieces of paper start coming up and people let's reach back here and pass it to the next guy. And it was kept coming forward. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world is going on? And when I got done... One of the deacons come up to me and he says, uh, we have received. And he shows a stack of papers in his hand. We've received these questions. We need you to answer these. And I was like, oh, geez. Yeah. I think I'm supposed to be on the train in 10 minutes. But anyway. So, so you sat and answered it. But you know what I found was? They wanted to hear what the word was. And here was this goofy American who ministered to rednecks in Moscow sharing the word. And they were enthusiastic about it. I ain't never seen that before. Now then, God is on my team. I want you to think about this for a second. Now, I've already told you guys over and over that I do not have an evangelistic bone in my body. Sorry, I'm not an evangelist. My passion is discipleship. That is, that is my driving force is to strengthen you for evangelism. No. <laughs> to strengthen you for the ministry God has for you. But I do want to share with you a text. And we'll deal with this in depth in coming, in coming times. <laughs> I'm not going to be that optimistic. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 15. This is the armor of the Christian. I will give you details on this. Eventually, should the Lord tarry, okay? But I want you to see something there in verse 15. He talks about the footwear of your armor. And this is an amazing phrase to me. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. Amen. 
That is our dividing wall that I looked at last week in 15 and 16 of chapter 2. That is the enmity. We, we all know, or a lot of us know, the gospel means good news. Right? So we have the good news of peace. Amen. We have peace with everybody. I have peace. Why? I am peace with God. Therefore, I have the peace of God. And it is so powerful that he has given me the gospel of peace so I can share it as I go. Sometimes in the scriptures you'll see the gospel of grace. Sometimes you'll see it's the gospel of God. Sometimes you'll see it is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to chapter 2, verse 16. That he might reconcile them both, both here contextually, Jew and Gentile, one body to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. Why? Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you. Think about that. Look at the chaos that is in our world. Listen, they call us the United States of America. Can somebody explain to me where that's at? I don't know what the unity is. And I mean, I, I don't know. I've been around long enough that I have seen some horrible things that was done in this country. But you know what? I don't see people trying to escape here. They all want to come here. And, and, and I don't understand because we should have this exceptional peace. Yeah, we don't. We don't. But then I can look at just around the world. Around the world. I mean, I, I was in Israel a number of years ago. And even in Israel, the Israelis, you got to understand, you got 5 million Israelis. All right? That's, that's the, 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 the population of Israel. Okay? And they're surrounded by 50 million people who want to see them extinct. They want to get rid of them. We don't, we don't want another, poof, keep, be gone. All right? So you would think that that five million would have a real serious bond of unity. And they don't. You know why? Some of them are religious uh, fanatics. Okay? Some of them are secularists. Well, they call it the Holy Land. So evidently it's got some kind of religious start to it, eh? And yet, you know, some people embrace their Jewishness, but not Judaism. Okay? And then if you really want to see an odd group of people over there, is Jewish believers. Because that there is a peculiar group. And yet, I imagine that somebody lobs a handful of missiles into them. All of a sudden, there's a unity there that is probably a little bit on the Yahoo. Here we go. All right. But I have I have seen them on, on, on both sides. 
you know, some of the Jewish uh, rabbis, I've seen them, their wives have to walk exactly two steps behind them. And you always know that's his wife because it is exactly two steps behind him. There's a part of me who wants to step in there and see if I can make it three. And, you know, or, or whatever, you know how I am. What can I start while I'm here? Okay. These are things that I, I, want, to, I, I want you to understand. That the, the barriers of humanity are all here except in the body of Christ. We made peace with God through the work of Calvary. You and I were bystanders. And we reap the benefit. Do you realize that if you're a true believer this day, that the war is over? And all I have is the gospel of peace. But you'll also find in uh, Ephesians 6 that we have a sword of truth, which is the word of God. I find that fascinating. This thing here is the gospel of peace, but it is also the sword of truth. The animosity, the hatred, the bitterness, the fighting, the war that is against God is over for you and me. Christ came along and he removed our sins in Christ. He removed them all. You know what? He's removed the sins that you're going to do on Wednesday. All taken care of. All taken care of. To the point I love this verse. Okay? Colossians chapter one, verse twenty two, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. All right? The penalty for your sins, my sins, is paid. Every one of them. But he goes on. Listen to what he says. In order. Okay. Why did this happen? In order. To present you. Me. You. To present you. Before him. Here's how he presents you. By what being reconciled to God means. You are holy. You are blameless. And you are beyond reproach. (laughs) I don't even know how to explain that. That is what your salvation is, people. It ain't got... Well, I'm going to heaven. That's the benefit package. But you're saved right now. You're holy. You're blameless. And you're beyond reproach. Who... Will bring an accusation against God's elect. How do you deal with that? I told you last Sunday. As soon as you sin, and you will. As soon as you sin. I had to have my my big truck worked on this week. I I knew I needed alignment when the wheel's 90 degrees this way. And you kind of, this ain't working. So, So I take it in. And, of course, you, you take it in and, and you, you go, you know, I just need tires rotated and an alignment, okay? No big deal. And so, all right, it's going to take us about an hour. Well, two hours later, they call me. 
So you know, this is going to be great. The first quote they gave me was 1400 and some dollars to fix it. I said, I've got new tires. <laughs> I don't need six new tires. And he went through tie rods of this and you know, control arms and all the rest of it. I was like, gee, many crickets. You know what the first thing comes to my mind? Was not holy, was not blameless, and was not above reproach. Okay? But you know what I also know? As soon as those thoughts went through my head, the first thing that happened with God, I was forgiven. Instantaneously. Because I am holy, I am blameless, I am above reproach. When you think about the cost of Calvary and you think about Jesus yelling out those fateful words, Telestai, it is finished. That is amazing. Christ came along and removed our sin and imputed to each of us, he gave to each of us who believe his righteousness. When the Lord God, holy, 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 looks at any given one of us at any given time, he sees us holy, unblameable, above reproach in his sight. When he looks at a believer, he looks at Christ. Which means, regardless of who you are today, whatever your background, when he looks at you, it's no different than looking at me or Charles Spurgeon or John Knox, Corey Tinboom. It's all the same. It's no different than looking at the Apostle Paul, Peter, John, Matthew, Mark. All the same when he looks at us. Holy, blameless, above reproach. Clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are as righteous as Jesus Christ. And God, knowing that and seeing that, says, I'm on their side. It ain't a matter of you being on God's side. God is on our side. All of his power... And love is on our behalf. Every single one of us, individually and collectively. The barrier is gone. We are reconciled with one another. Being reconciled with one another. We are also reconciled to God. Christ defeated. Christ crushed the enmity. The cross was sufficient for peace. For every believer, for all time, regardless of where you're at, even if you're speaking through a translator. I had a friend of mine who was preaching in uh, the Muslim section of Sudan. I thought, <laughs> Ramesh, you need to think that through. Okay? The problem is, there's four language dialects. All right? So when he's preaching, he's got four interpreters. And I thought, that had to be an adventure. 
And yet, people came to salvation. Which means them interpreters are good. <laughs> Ramesh's a preacher. Them interpreters must have been evangelists. <laughs> okay? The cross is sufficient. When the two parties come to God, they come to each other, joined together to Him. Christianity is the gospel of peace. We are at peace with each other. We are at peace with God. Listen, do you understand how far this goes back? Let me tell you how far this goes back. A man will leave his parents and will be joined to his wife. And the two shall be one. I got to go all the way back to Genesis 3. To see the start of this thing. And yet he says, that's what it is. When a man and a woman, you know, I have, I have counseled people at, on, on marriage and all the rest of it. And 11 out of 10 believe that the two are one is when the wedding bed. And that, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. It ain't. You want intimacy with your spouse? Pray with them. It don't get no more intimate than that. Because the intimacy between a man and a woman is a picture of Jesus and the bride of Christ. That ain't it. The intimacy is the spiritual side. That's where the love of Christ pours through that you can't tell the man from the woman or the woman from the man. That's what it's all about. That was the picture it was given us. Now, we're really good at accomplishing that. I've been around long enough to say, well, yeah, that marriage right there looks just like Jesus in the church. And then I realized the condition of the church and I was right. All right. See, that's how far this goes back. This is the power that is involved here. We have the gospel of peace. We have peace with each other. We have peace with God. Christians, you're not going to believe this, shouldn't be fighting with each other. I made a comment at a Baptist convention thing. I said the Baptist church multiplies through division. And the guys all looked at me for a minute and then they realized what I said. I've been around long enough to know how that works. But we shouldn't be fighting with each other. And guess what? You're not going to believe this. We definitely should not be fighting with God. Sometimes we do both. So many Christians are really good at fighting with each other. Some of them almost seem like they're professional. They're experts at fighting with each other. I have a friend who has was in a ministry up in Hamilton, Montana. A huge church in Hamilton because there's only one. <laughs> so it was it was it. Hamilton, Montana. And uh, I got a call from her. She said, I need you to pray real hard. And I said, what's that? They said, well, I, I knew the, the, her pastor. And um, uh, they said they run Tommy off. I said, how in the world did they run Tommy off? He said, well, 
he decided instead of doing the offering plates that he was going to put collection boxes in the back of the church and people got mad and had him fired. I was like, <laughs> for, for getting rid of the collection plate? She says, you don't understand. Up here in Montana, we have a handful of silverback grizzlies that are driving the bus. And I was like, yeah, you do. She says, you need to pray. And I was like, I'll pray. I'll pray. But they lost one of the best expositors I've ever heard. And they run him off because he changed the way they take up the offering. Okay? See what I mean? We're experts at fighting each other. We have wars in our families. We have wars in our churches. We have splits. We have fractures. And we just do it because you know what I've learned in my 30-some years of walking with the king? The reason that we do it is because everyone at some point or another believes that they are an expert. And when they become an expert, then they want to share their expertise. They can even get to the point where they're unkind to each other. Listen, we know how to confront. We struggle with loving everyone equally, like Philippians 2 says. Because you know what? I've seen that in massive amounts in the church, that so many in the church have the humility of Jesus Christ. How many of us actually can prepare for the Lord's table right now and say, I will say no to self and that others are more important? Philippians 4. Do we consider others more important? Let me ask you a question. Anybody struggle with that? Listen. Over the last four weeks, those of you who have been here through the all four weeks, you know where you are positionally. Okay? This is what God has done. We are one. But for some reason, we make a lot of problems for that oneness. We are one with God. But sometimes we cause problems. Sometimes, sometimes we hassle God. Sometimes we doubt God. Sometimes we deny God's power. Sometimes we argue with God. Sometimes we question God. We don't always show his peace. Yeah, you could look at it and call it a dichotomy. I agree. But I want to close with this thought. You know what your position is. I have peace with God. I have the peace of God. I have the gospel of peace. I also have the sword of truth. Okay? I want you to think of it from this perspective. There is a dichotomy. There are times we don't act like it. I want you to be glad. I want you to be thankful that there's a dichotomy. Okay? I want you to be glad. I want you to be thankful 
for the peace of God. Okay? I want you to be so thankful that our relationship depends on what He has done. Not on what we do. Be glad. Be so grateful that the Bible teaches position and practice. You don't have any idea how thankful you need to be for the Bible teaching that. Here's why. C.S. Lewis's quote fits perfectly. If they were the same thing, position and practice, then every time we messed up the practice, we would lose our position. And that would be a bad thing. What a mess that would be, huh? So, yeah, it's a dichotomy. I understand very well my position in Christ. What is the depth, the breadth, the height of my salvation? I understand it. But I also know when the guy tells me it's going to cost me how much for my truck, my holy, blameless, above reproach goes out the window. Okay, I want you to understand that it teaches our position. Remember, Genesis 3 shows us the oneness that is coming. And yet you think from Genesis 3 to today, how many marriages look oneness? Okay? Yet, I'm glad that when I mess up my practice, I do not lose my position. What a mess that would be. Listen, if you're saved today, truly saved, you need to understand this. The Lord Jesus Christ has brought you to God in oneness. In oneness. And you are the same with every believer. Every believer. Regardless of their spiritual maturity, regardless of their age, regardless of their position societally, economically, it doesn't matter. You are one with Christ. And therefore, you are one with His people. That is the unity of Christ in the body of Christ, the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the power of our salvation. Father, the joy of our salvation. Father, may we never, ever take it for granted. Father, we may we understand there's no slave or free. There's no difference between men and women. No difference between any believer. Between the preacher, or the deacon, the Sunday school teacher, nursery workers. It doesn't matter, Lord. We are in you and you are in us. Father, I pray for these people. I pray as the Apostle Paul was overwhelmed by the phrase of in him. Father, we would be also. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the gospel of peace. Thank you for the sword of truth. Thank you for the power of your salvation. In Christ's name, amen.